who are the women of the Bible? How were their lives impacted by God? And what lessons can we learn from their stories to enhance our own lives? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. So if you didn't know, March 8th is International Women's Day. Very exciting. So in honor of all women, I wanted us to do an episode that would be inspiring, empowering, and show the true greatness of women, which is very easy to do, in my opinion. But luckily for me, my Fox News colleague and friend, Shannon Bream, is releasing her new book, The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Now, you guys know Shannon from the Fox News channel as the host of Fox News at Night and the host of Live in the Bream podcast. And she's here with me today to help us really dive into who a couple of these women of the Bible are and what we can learn from them. Shannon, it's so great to talk to you. Abby, it's always a treat when we get to chat and hang out a little bit. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this and the women of the Bible because you just are a joy to be around. And I think it is because, you know, you can just tell God is speaking through you. And this book is incredible. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And um, that's like the nicest thing you could ever say. Thank you. You know, people have this just this light and you have that light. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this. You know, I actually went through and picked out some of my favorite chapters of the book. So today I thought you and I could talk about Rachel, Leah, Martha, Mary of Bethany, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. Let's start with Rachel and Leah. Who were they and what was their story? These are two sisters. And this is like the most housewives of Judea or whatever we want to call it, because, yeah. oh, my goodness, these stories, if people think that the Bible is kind of dusty and old and boring, I, I like to tell them these stories are so twist and turn. So proper. Listen, Jacob comes along. He immediately falls in love with Rachel, like almost love at first sight. He's like, I got to have her. He goes to work for her father and agrees to work seven years for her. But at the end of the seven years, he's got this, she's got this sister, Leah, who the Bible tells us that Rachel was beautiful, a form and figure. Everybody thought she was a knockout. Leah was sort of sad. I mean, the interpretations are sort of that she had sad eyes or that maybe she wasn't beautiful to look upon. So a double cross of all double cross. Jacob has worked seven years for Rachel. Wedding night, have a big party, have the ceremony. It's actually Leah that the dad sends in a double cross. The bait so, and switch. Jacob's like, what the heck? After he, you know, has his wedding night with her and wakes up and realizes it's her mm -hmm. and says to the dad, why have you done this double crossing to me? And he's like, hey, you've got the one sister. Give her one week. And in a week, I'll let you marry the other sister. But you're going to have to work another seven years. So he works 14 years total for the one he was in love with and the one he wasn't in love with. And it's really tough to watch this because the sisters both are fighting for something they don't have in this story. And there's a lot of jealousy. I mean, this is truly sister wives, like legit sister wives. <laughs> this would be a reality television show in today's world. For sure. <laughs> so then what can we learn from Jacob and Rachel's dynamic and Jacob's love for Rachel? Because this is kind of an example of love at first sight for him. Mm -hmm. But then he goes through all of this and, and the women also go through all of this. Oh, Can't be well, easy for them. No way. You got to think it's hard and awkward for both of them. Um, and listen, Leah had to take part in this little deception thing. She was the one who went into the wedding all veiled up and covered up and knowing that she was marrying him, thinking he was going to marry Rachel, the one he was in love with. So everybody 
everybody's got hurt feelings and jealousies and betrayal and this whole thing because Leah immediately has children. And that's the one thing Rachel wants. Now she knows she's loved by Jacob, but she wants children. She wants heirs. It was seen very much as God's blessing in that time to be fertile and have all these children. And for a long time, she does not have children. Leah has baby after baby after baby. And with each of them, Leah is naming them things like maybe he'll see me this time. Maybe God has, you know, or seen my pain. Um, maybe my husband will love me. You know, the names were very descriptive. So Rachel, for years, cries, cries, cries. Jacob's like, you know, I, there's nothing I can do for you. This is up to you and God. Isn't my love for you enough? Like he was so enamored of her. We don't know if Rachel was equally in love with him. We know she wanted mm -hmm. children. So for years, everybody is in a ton of pain. But Rachel grows in her faith and that she is praying continuously to God to give her a child to take away this barrenness. Leah is praying then um, for someone to love her and they both are striving and striving. And we see that they both actually grow deeper and deeper in their relationship with God. And they end up, uh, Rachel gets her uh, children at one point eventually. Um, and they all kind of come together and make important decisions as a family that they have to make. So we see unity down the road, but we see years of pain and not getting what you want, not getting what you pray for, but eventually having to give up and trust that God has a plan. And that's what was happening with Rachel and Leah. How about that lesson that comes with the comparison or the jealousy of these two sisters or, you know, who are, you know, very close friends potentially, you know, I mean, do we learn anything from that? How did they overcome those feelings? Yeah, they, there was definitely jealousy. There was definitely this game of one upping and going after each other. But when they reached this crisis point, which I talk about in the book where their family unit as a whole um, had to face some persecution and some really big decisions that we see the sisters come united together in one voice to make a decision. So we see at one point they have each other's backs. Um, and I think that they're able to see that um, they have common interests. They do love each other. They are a family. Um, and that, you know, relationships can be repaired. We see that a lot in the Bible where people are striving, there's jealousy, um, but there can be good that comes for as each person that's part of that relationship is growing in their relationship with God. Um, they can repair things. They can grow stronger spiritually, individually, and um, come to really love and appreciate each other. Did that happen with Rachel and Jacob as well? Because at one point, you know, she can't conceive. She kind mm -hmm. of yells at Jacob. And then right. highlight that fighting with our partner has partners has <laughs> been around for ages. So Yes, marital squabbles are not anything new. They are centuries <laughs> and centuries old through the Bible. Um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting that we get to see uh, a bit of transparency in this marriage. First, in that he was so in love with her, so enamored, willing to work all these years for her. And yet when they do get together, it's not a perfect fairy tale. Mm -hmm. She is blaming him and mad about why can't I have children? Um, and they do fuss and argue about things. But again, we see that they come together when their family is under threat, make decisions together, pledge to stick together and work through things. And that's what marriage is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of good lessons to learn from that, but I, I I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I love the story. <laughs> I know it is Dresses tough. I think Sad. as a, a modern woman, you think about how ridiculously hard this would be. Oh, and I'm yeah. so glad these are not our customs or traditions because I'm sorry if my husband or fiance or person that I'm in love with runs off and marries someone else now, not through any fault of his own, but then tries to make good on the bargain and keep her around. I'd be like, see ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Was it, love it, was it love at first sight with Sheldon? 
Listen, I thought he was a total fox, which is a very 1990s <laughs> word, <laughs> but I had a wrong first impression of him because he was an athlete. He's a baseball player uh, in college when I met him and the team, like these guys were always having fun and acting up and crazy. I knew some of the other guys on the team and I thought, this guy is fun to date. This is not husband material. Mm. So I thought he was hot, but until I mm-hmm. actually months and months into this thing, went on a real date with him. And then I was like, whoa. This is husband material. And then he says he went home that night after our first date and told his roommates we were definitely getting married. Took me a little bit longer, but not too much. But luckily, I hope that we're Rachel and Jacob and there's no Leah. Yes. (laughs) At least he didn't (laughs) fall in love with your sister first. (laughs) No, 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 no. We did not have that complication. That's good. That's good. Um, All right. So then let's move on to Martha and Mary of Bethany. What Mm -hmm. are we told about them in the Gospels? So I love that the book has tons of Old Testament and tons of New Testament women for us to look at. And Martha and Mary were sisters. And we find, too, that they are very close within the sphere of Jesus uh, group of friends and of people that study with him and minister to him, uh, the disciples and others. But the women, these women were there in a lot of the accounts in the gospel. And Martha and Mary at one point are hosting Jesus in their home and others who were there to learn uh, from him and Martha is running around doing everything. Like she's getting the hors d'oeuvres ready. She's, you know, cleaning. She's doing all that stuff. Um, she's making sure everybody's glasses are full. Now, Mary has decided to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. Every time I read this story, I think about instead of Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from the Brady Bunch, Martha, 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 because <laughs> she's ticked. Yeah. She, uh, she says to Jesus at one point, now imagine calling aside the man you think is the son of God. I think she believed that at this point Mm -hmm. and saying like, uh, I need to talk to you about why my sister, she's totally irritating and not helping me. And shouldn't she be helping me? (laughs) Jesus defends Mary. And he's like, listen, you're both doing important, good things. Mary is sitting and learning from me and hearing my teachings. She's chosen the better thing. So Mm -hmm. it's not that, um, you know, anything we do that distracts us from God is a bad thing. I was just reading about this this morning that we can be involved in good things, um, but they can have the wrong focus for us. If we're too worried about busy work and service and all that kind of stuff, but we're not stopping to have the actual relationship with God, then we might be missing out. They're both good things. But Jesus said, listen, if you got to choose, I'm not going to be rate Mary. I'm not going to take that away from her. That's what confuses me, though, about this, because, you know, we are taught that acts of service mm-hmm. are, you know, deeds of God as well. And, um, you know, Martha is serving Jesus in that, in that uh, instance. She wants to make sure that he's happy. So then what are we to learn about these women as far as giving service or friendship and trust in God? Well, Mary is always kind of being uh, criticized for what she's doing, which listen, what the way that Jesus interacted with women in the new Testament, I love this. And I have one bonus chapter. That's just a number of women that Jesus reached out to in ways that maybe weren't culturally, uh, recognized or the custom of the day. I mean, he went to women who were outcasts and, you know, living in sin and doing all kinds of stuff where people would say, Oh, they're not holy. You can't talk to them. And he was like, whatever, this is, you know, these are people and these are human beings. He went to them where they were. And he also had women who were learning from him and sitting at his feet and and doing teaching, which 
And those times, traditionally, that would have been reserved for young men to be studying with these religious teachers. But Jesus was all about busting up norms and seeing people as people, regardless of gender or race, the ethnic conflicts they had, all of these things. So I think he says there's such an importance in having a relationship with me. Yes, it is good to volunteer and we should be doing those things and helping the poor and needy, the widow and uh, all of those people who need us in society. We're called to have a faith built on works. And that includes that stuff. But what's most important to me is the relationship you have with me. That's going to fuel everything else. And I want to walk with you and know you and you know me and know my truths and know my love. So I think the relationship with him is what he wanted to spotlight as that's the core of all these other good things, which are works and are serving other people. But if we don't have that relationship and we're not walking with him, we're missing the very foundation of helping other people. It's funny because every time you say the word relationship, I think, okay, well, our relationship with God and you know Jesus, but I also think about Jesus's relationship with Mary, his mom, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because you know that mother-son relationship is extremely important, and and Mary, the mother of God could be one of the most famous women in the Bible and, and personally one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. What is important for listeners to know about her? She's such a model of grace. We the think best. about this woman who was so young and unmarried and has an angel come visit her. First of all, freak out time. I'm sorry if an angel shows up, <laughs> who among us is not going to be like, oh my goodness. And you're going to um, conceive. Yeah, she and says, by you're the gonna way, <laughs> you're going to conceive in a special act of God and you're going to give birth to the savior of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a teenager, you hear this and she was like, okay, I, uh, why am I chosen among women? But I, I got it. I got my assignment where I'm thinking if I'm her, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to show up pregnant. How do I explain this to Joseph, to my family? No, everyone's going to think I'm crazy, but God has given me this assignment. And I think about how fearful I would be, but we don't see that from her. At the same time, an angel um, also in this time period visits Joseph and tells him what's going on. So he knows that she's telling the truth. She's a woman of honor. So we see her as a very young woman in the Bible when she finds out the special joy that she's going to have, this special gift and privilege. But we also watch through the book and through the Bible about how she's with him along his ministry and um, has to be there at the cross to watch his crucifixion. No mother, I think, can imagine that without extreme grief and sorrow to think about what it would be like, not only to lose your child, but have to watch these people take his life while you're there. We know she was at the cross. But what we also see, and I thought was important to point out in the book, is afterwards, when the disciples are sort of in this upper room of hiding, they're frightened, they're confused about you know, our Lord is gone. What is going to happen? Not really yet understanding when he said, I'll be gone three days and then I will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. But Mary is there with them. She's among them praying as part of the earliest church, leading and supporting the early believers. And so for her, this was a lifelong devotion. And um, even after his death, before his resurrection, she's there faithfully with them, waiting and thinking and praying about what will come next. And she was a key part of the early church. So um, I wanted people not just to see the the part I think so many of us think of when the angel came to her and she found, found out what her mission was going to be, but all the way through to the end and what we know about her and her life. She really is the perfect example of bravery when mm-hmm. you really think about it. You know, people, when you pray, if you're scared or you need more confidence, it's, you know, Mary is the one to ask for that bravery because she showed it in so many ways, like you mentioned. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. 
There are so many Marys in the Bible. What does the name Mary mean? Why why are there so many Marys? Yeah, this is one of the things that, like I said, despite being in church and Sunday school and all of that my whole life, I learned so much in this book. And I learned about Mary was such a popular name at this time. So first century um, where the church was growing and and, um, Jesus was having his ministry, um, there was so much of the Roman Empire that was oppressive to the Jewish people. They were stationed in almost every major city and port, the towns, the villages. And this name Mary actually derives from Miriam, and she's in the book from the Old Testament, but it meant the promise of freedom or God's continued care for his people. So it's almost like a resistance to name your kid Mary or something like that, a derivative of that to say like, hey, God promises our freedom. He will be with us and provide for the uh, people of Israel, the Jewish people. So that was a, a, you know, very popular name. We do outline a lot of the Marys in the book. So people will know differently who we're talking about. And Mary Magdalene is another one of the ones who we saw along in Jesus's ministry. Now check this out. She had had seven demons cast out of her. So this was somebody who came to Jesus with major problems (laughs) and just a few. And we and we understand she was some uh, uh, kind of a woman of means because she contributed to and helped with the ministry. And some scholars and um, theologians believe that she had been at one time, maybe a prostitute or something that was viewed as less than honorable. We don't know details about her, but we do know she came to him in need. And then well, was had seven demons. That's of what I'm saying. You know, who could be doing lots of stuff that you didn't want to do. I mean, <laughs> but she must have felt such great relief in being delivered from whatever those problems were. And so, um, yeah, she was somebody who was there and was part of Jesus's friend group and these people who studied and supported him, studied with him. Um, and so what I love about her story and we highlight in the Bible, too, is that in, in the book, is that when Jesus is crucified and they're all in great grief and the women go to his um, to his tomb uh, on the Sunday after uh, he's been crucified and they want to be there to care for his body or whatever they can do. Um, and when they get there, they find that he's gone. And Mary, uh, it, these angels say to her, like, who are you looking for? And she's like, listen, if you've moved his body somewhere, just tell me she's in enormous grief. And as she's there in the garden, she doesn't even recognize Jesus now resurrected is there. She thinks maybe he's a worker or someone else there. And she's crying and through her sobbing saying, please just tell me where you've taken his body. That's all I want. That's all I want to know. And he says to her, Mary, and in just saying her name, she immediately, her eyes are open, her mind and her heart are open. She realizes this is her teacher. This is her beloved rabbi. And she is uh, overwhelmed Um, And she is the one who now runs back to the disciples and everybody else is kind of hiding out to say like, hey, he's been resurrected. He's alive. I mean, Jesus chose a woman to be the one he revealed himself to, to go and then sort of be the first evangelist or sharing the gospel like, hey, it's true. He has risen from the dead and there's hope for us. So then what can we learn from both Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of God? I think they both are so faithful um, with Mary, the mother of Jesus. We see that um, she never, she never wavers. She never walks away. She never abandons her son. Um, And she, even though she knows from the very beginning that she's having a very special divine child, we see there are times in the journey where he goes about his business and in his ministry. And she's sort of like, what are you doing? And, and he's kind of like, Hey, did you not forget what I'm supposed to be here doing? Mm -hmm. So she has to remind, be reminded as a mother of somebody who was fully human, but also God, um, that, um, you know, she was to guide and shepherd and be along with him in this ministry. And we see she's faithful through to the end. 
mm-hmm. um, and beyond. We see that with Mary Magdalene too, that she was so devoted to Christ and just wanted to take care of his body when she didn't understand really that he would be resurrected. She wasn't hiding. She wasn't running away and saying, oh my goodness, these Romans who killed him are going to come for me. She went straight to that tomb Mm -hmm. and um, she was bold. And I think both these women were very courageous. Yeah, I I just, it's, it's really great to hear stories like that because it puts into context what, even at that time, what you had to go through because being a woman during that time was so different than Mm -hmm. being a woman in this time. So to have that bravery to do that, despite the consequences is just, it's inspirational to see for sure. Um, You know, I also, this is going to be a hard question probably for you to answer because there are so many great stories, but what's your favorite story that you included in your book? You know, I keep going back to Deborah because she was a judge over the Israel, uh, the people of Israel. She was viewed as very wise um, and she would answer legal and spiritual and theological questions. But she was a bad mamma jamma also because <laughs> yeah. those are, that's, not, win. that's not a theological term. Um, I might <laughs> be a, using my own interpretation there, but <laughs> I like it. Israel was in such a bad place when she was put in charge. And they, I mean, honestly, things were so bad. They weren't even using their own highway system because they were so dangerous. Um, It was not a good time. And they were being oppressed by the Canaanites who had all these weapons and chariots and all this stuff. The Israelites had none of that stuff. And God comes to Deborah and says, like, I want you to go in battle against the Canaanites and I'm going to give you victory. And she's like, "Okay, great, let's do it. She goes and calls the army general for the Israelites. Barak is his name. He's the top leader. And she's like, okay, God's told me we're supposed to go into battle against Canaanites and we're going to win. It's going to be great. And uh, Barak's like, hold up. Uh, He's, you know, we see hesitance, not from him, for her ever, but from him. And he says, I'm only going to go if you'll go with me. She's like, okay, I'm a chick. I'm going to lead this (laughs) army into battle. But because of your hesitance or that you're making me come along with you, Ultimately, the leader of the opposition, the army, um, Cicero was his name, the general who led the other army. He's going to be delivered into the hands of a woman and you're not going to get credit for it. (laughs) And so it's a very crazy story with so many um, twists and turns that you wouldn't believe. Uh, And it isn't Deborah, who's the woman who eventually gets that foreign leader, but it is another woman. And it is a crazy edge of your seat story, but, um, she was brave. And I love that. She said, I will do whatever God asked me to do. I'm going to lead us into a battle that no one thinks we could win, which they did. And she was just faithful to what she was called to do. We need a movie about that. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Her, her movie would be so good. It would be very violent. Not going to sugarcoat it. Cause listen, I mean, the odds were so against them and it wasn't mm. even a close battle. We're told in the end, like Israel triumphed over them. No one lived except for the leader of the opposing army. And then it doesn't end well for him. Wow. Yeah. He should have listened. Should have listened for her to her. I know. Um, all right. So we had the bad mamma jamma, your words, uh, <laughs> you know, direct quote from the Bible, the bad mamma jamma, Deborah negative. <laughs> so that she's your favorite, maybe that favorite story, but what's your favorite lesson? You know, I love just faith. We see that throughout. uh, And so many of these women are in situations that are modern day. I mean, widowhood, infertility, betrayal, um, just a broken heart over something that they couldn't see an answer to. And all of them come forward with faith in these moments where they didn't have it. They were afraid. They said, God, help me. Uh, And he did. And they placed their trust in him. There's a story that's uh, in the book, both in the beginning and the end, about a woman who was very ill and uh, had spent every penny she had trying to be healed. 
for 12 years and no one can help her. And she hears about this Jesus and decides, I'm going to go see it if I can get a miracle from him. Um, and she, her faith was so great. She said, I'm not even going to ask him. I'm just going to try to get close enough to touch his garment. And that's mm-hmm. all it took. And it's an amazing story because this was a woman who was considered unclean because of her illness. She shouldn't have been out among the people or in this crowd, but she decided to risk everything and just touch his garment. And the minute she did, the Bible says she was healed And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. It was his power, but it was her faith. And I think um, it's just such a good example. I mean, the 12 years of waiting must have been torture for her to be sick and have no hope. Um, But to just reach out and say, I'm going to take a chance on this man being the true God and the one who can heal me. Um, And we just need the faith of a mustard seed in so many of our situations. And I love that lesson because we all need it. Right. And and there really are so many lessons that you go through in the book, too. And, um, you know, I'm curious how you recommend women should use this book because you have such wonderful conversation questions and the things that you write about, you can tell you're writing from a point of interest. So how should people reading it use it? Listen, if you don't know anything about the Bible, but you need some inspiration and you want great stories about powerful women, you can dive right in. And these are stories that are are told uh, in a narrative form where you're going to be like, whoa, page turning, kind of what happens next. Um, If you're somebody who studied the Bible, there's a lot of meat there. And I learned a lot of new things, but every chapter, regardless of how you're uh, approaching the book, has study questions. I myself love study questions because I always learn things or get another view I didn't see. So you can do those alone. Um, I also love doing them with a group because I learn from other women who study along with me. Um, different perspectives and different experiences they've had. So you can do it alone, do it as a group, but hopefully the questions will guide you a little bit deeper to make discoveries of your own. It's the perfect book club book. It really, it is. really is. It's a good book club book. It's like Bible study and book club all in one. I know. And listen, like I said, the book is full of, you've got a queen, you've got a prostitute, you've got a woman who poses as a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law. Like there are so many crazy stories in this wow. book. Um, and I think you'll be entertained, but more importantly, like you'll learn and hopefully be encouraged. Cause I, frankly, after the last year, we all need some encouragement. We really do. And, and this book definitely is an outlet for that. So I guess that leads me to my final question, Shannon, when does this book come out and where can listeners find it? You can order it now. If you yes. go to foxnews.com slash books, You can link right to it. It'll tell you how to get it. It is out March 30th. If you pre-order, you should have it within a day or two of the release, but it'll be on bookshelves on March 30th. Again, foxnews.com slash books. It is Women of the Bible Speak. If you have a favorite outlet you like to go to, order now and you'll have it in your hands uh, in time for Easter. It's a good gift and a good way to sort of study and worship for that period as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just hope it'll encourage folks. And it's Women's History Month, so you can exactly. you can read it one more time. The Bad Mamma Jammas of the Bible. Yeah, that's going to be the next <laughs> title. If it comes out in, in, in paperback, we'll make sure that is the Perfect. subtitle next time. <laughs> great, great. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. And it really is a pleasure to talk to you. I always feel so much more uplifted once we get off, off of a conversation. And, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Abby. I feel the same way. I hope to see you in person again soon. Yes, definitely. Tell Biscuit I say hello. And if you ever need me to dog sit, I'm there. Perf. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Shannon Bream on the women of the Bible. Number one. Rachel and Leah were sisters who were really put in a difficult situation. Their father 
had them marry the same man, Jacob. He pulled the old bait and switch. Now, these women remind us that even in those times of great suffering, the Lord has his eyes on us. And through our faith in him, he'll give us what we desire. Uh, Rachel and Leah also might remind us of forgiveness because these two women ultimately joined together to support their family. Number two, Martha and Mary were two sisters living in Bethany who were incredibly close to Jesus's personal circle. One night while he was in their home, Martha hurried around the house for her guests while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha and Mary's story reminds us that we can be so focused on good acts that we can lose sight of what it means to have gratitude for our blessings. Shannon says that it's good to keep our eyes fixed on him as we help others. And number three, the Marys. Mary, the mother of God, was the mother of Jesus. She teaches us about trust, patience, and bravery. And throughout her life, Mary showed bravery in following God's plan for her. Mary Magdalene is one of the earliest followers of Jesus. She was a woman who had demons driven out of her in one of Jesus's miracles. Mary demonstrates incredible faith and bravery in her own right as one of the primary women in the gospel who followed Christ intimately. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the Women of the Bible with Shannon Bream. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. Available March 22nd, Shannon will be hosting a limited podcast series, Fox Nation Presents Podcast, Women of the Bible Speak. And to pre-order the book, Women of the Bible Speak, you can go to foxnews.com slash books. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Glass dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.